Amen. Thank you, worship team. Would you take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 7? We're going to continue in our study of Luke's gospel, looking at verses 11 to 17 this morning. Thanks. As you're turning there, I also bring you greetings from Darren Young. Uh, Last Sunday, I was down in Iowa, Ferguson, Iowa, a small town where Darren is a pastor and uh, spoke at his ordination service. And it's just such a joy to see Darren, uh, who was part of our church for a little over three years, and we helped him in that transition. And how God opened a door for a really good place in this community where he feels uh, very much at home and loved and loves his people. And uh, it was just a joy to meet all of them and share with them that day. Let me read this passage of Scripture for us as we begin. Luke 7, verse 11. Soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, Don't cry. And then he went up and touched the coffin, and those carrying it stood still. He said, young man, I say to you, get up. And the dead man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. They were all filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. And this news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. Let's pray. Father, what an amazing story this is. We think about what it would have been like to stand there as part of that crowd and to witness this resurrection, this new life. God, you are awesome. And I pray that today as we come and we walk through this passage, you would encourage our hearts. You would teach us and show us what you have planned for us as well in the future. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. One of the questions that many people have when they go through trials is, where is God in our suffering? Does he see and does he care? And sometimes those who are, you know, uh, critical of the Bible or critical of God will even kind of throw it back in this way, and they'll say that obviously God can't be both loving and powerful, or he would do something about all this suffering in our world. And they'll say either God is loving, but he's not powerful enough to change things, or he's powerful and he's not very loving for letting people go through these kind of trials. But the scripture affirms that God is both loving and powerful. David wrote Psalm 62 at a time when he was being persecuted. He he had conspirators who were trying to overthrow him as the king of Israel, And he knew it. He knew his life was in danger. And he wrote this psalm in which he affirms these things. He said, one thing God has spoken, two things I have heard, that you, O God, are strong and that you, O Lord, are loving. God, you are strong, you are mighty, and you are loving. And David put his trust in him. Well, the passage that we're going to look at this morning is an example of that. And it demonstrates Jesus' love and his power. Jesus is loving. Let's take a look at verses 11 to 13. Luke tells us that Jesus left Capernaum 
And he went to a town called Nain, just a small town. It's about 25 miles away. We don't know if it, they walked it all in one day or a couple days or how they were doing on that. But it said that a large crowd went with Jesus and also his disciples. And Nain was just a small, out-of-the-way place. It is still a town today. It's still small. It's not far from Nazareth, where Jesus grew up. And they came to this little, out-of-the-way town. And as they were coming there, there was a funeral procession that was coming out of the city gate. And we are told that a woman who was a widow had lost her only son. He was being carried out not in a closed coffin like we think of a coffin when we hear that word, but really more what would be like a funeral mat where he was laid upon it and he would be carried to the tomb where he would be laid to rest. And when Jesus saw her, his heart went out to her. He was filled with compassion. He was moved inwardly. The word that Luke chose to use here is actually a very strong word. There's four or five words that he could have used in Greek to express kind of sympathy or emotion or pity or feelings like that. But the word that he chose to use here is this strong word. I mean, it, it means like it just hit him in the gut. I mean, he, he felt this deeply in his heart. For one thing, Jesus knew that for a widow to lose her only son would mean that she would have no provider. And in that world at that time, it meant that she would probably be destitute. And his heart went out to her. The word that Luke used here is a common word to describe Jesus' response to the suffering in our world. He sees the brokenness He sees the sin, and he knows this is not what God intended from the very beginning. But it is sin that entered into our world, and it is sin that has affected all of us and is behind all of the evil and human suffering that we see. And you can think about it like this. If we, in our selfishness, I mean, we're we're concerned about ourselves and our own lives and all that's going on, If we in our selfishness can have those times when we are brought to tears by the suffering that we see, how much deeper do you think Jesus felt that in his sinlessness and understanding what God's plan is? Jesus was moved inwardly. And he came to this woman and he said to her, don't cry. Now I'm going to leave it there and we're going to come back to it. I want to share some observations on this passage. One of the things is that this is the first of three resurrection miracles that we are told about in Jesus' ministry. From Luke 7.22, when word goes to John the Baptist about what Jesus is doing, it appears that there may have been others as well that are not recorded. I mean, they went and told John that um, the blind received sight, The lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the good news is preached to the poor. I mean, all of these miracles were taking place in Jesus' ministry as he traveled from location to location in Israel. And these crowds were with him, and they saw all of it. And so now it is told to John the Baptist, this is what Jesus is doing. He is indeed the Messiah. But we learn of three in the Scriptures. This one, the raising of the widow's son, 
The second one is the raising of Jairus' daughter, which will be in chapter 8. And then the third one is that great miracle of the raising of Lazarus from the dead when he had been in the tomb for four days. And that's recorded in John 11. What is this telling us about Jesus? Well, one of the things we see is that Jesus comes to the least of these in our world, to those who are humble and poor in spirit. He goes to this small, out-of-the-way place called Nain. I mean, this isn't some great power center. This isn't Rome or Jerusalem. This isn't where the world is focused. But he cares about everyone. And he comes to a widow. I mean, she's not even named. We don't know who she is. She's this anonymous person in the scripture, and yet Jesus cared for her in her suffering. Not only that, but Jesus enters into our suffering. He is moved with compassion. In John 11, when Jesus came to the tomb of Lazarus and he saw all of those who were mourning there and he saw Mary and Martha and he he saw how deeply they grieved the loss of their brother, Jesus too was moved. And the scripture says Jesus wept. He knows what it's like to stand by the grave of a loved one and weep. I have always found that to be a great comfort, that we have a Savior who understands our suffering. We have a God who weeps. You know, I think back in my ministry here and the first funeral service that I did at our church back in 1986 was for Barry Tangwall. Tom and Debbie had a son who was born, lived just a few days. He had trisomy 13, and then he died. And I, I just think of Tom and Debbie. That was, it's one of the hardest things that any parent will ever go through. And we've seen that with others in our church who have experienced the loss of an infant or the loss of a child as well. And I still see in my mind this, this memory I have of after the service was done and we had driven out to Kirkhoven where uh, Barry was going to be buried and laid to rest there. I remember sitting in the car after everything was done with Tom and Debbie and looking out at this cold, windswept cemetery. It was in December. You know, it was like snow. It was bleak. And I'm thinking in my mind, this is not the way it should be. It's not. You know, Joe Bailey, Christian author, He knows what the loss of a child was like. In fact, he and his wife, Mary Lou, lost three sons. One at 18 days after surgery, another at five years with leukemia, and the third at 18 years in a sledding accident. So when Joe Bailey wrote about the death of a child, people listened. And here's part of what he had to say. He said, of all the deaths, that of a child is the most unnatural and hardest to bear. In Carl Jung's word, it is a period placed before the end of the sentence. I mean, we expect the old to die, and there is still sorrow. There's still loss that we feel in that separation. But with a child, it is even more because we look at that child and we think they, they have their whole future ahead of them, and we have dreams and we have hopes, and we see life with all of its potential. And death is a cruel thief when it strikes down the young. 
And the suffering that sometimes precedes death in a child is also hard for parents to bear. Children were made for fun and laughter, for sunshine, not for pain. And they have a child's heightened sense of consciousness rather than the ability to cope with suffering that comes from maturity. When a child dies, part of the parents is buried. Joe Bailey said, I met a man in his 70s, and during our first 10 minutes together, he brought the faded photograph of a child out of his wallet, a child who had died more than 50 years before. We never forget. We remember, and we think of those things in our life and how good it is to know that Jesus comes to us with compassion and he is near in our suffering. But Jesus is also powerful. Jesus is the Lord of life and death. For Jesus to come to this woman and to say to her, don't cry, would have been very cruel if it were not for his ability to do what he did. I mean, you don't go to someone. They, they tell you this in grief counseling. You don't go to somebody and say, well, don't feel that way. You know, that's not even good in your marriage if you're saying to your wife, no, don't feel that way or you shouldn't, shouldn't feel like you are. No. I mean, that would have been insensitive. That would have been an odd kind of thing to say. But Jesus is about to do something very great. Jesus went up and touched the coffin bringing the procession to a halt. And Jesus did what would have made him ceremonially unclean. I mean, uh, the idea that he would touch a coffin would mean that he would not be able to go to the synagogue for worship. He'd have to go through the steps for purification, certain number of days and sacrifice, all those things. And he comes and he places his hand on this coffin and he says to the young man, get up. Jesus would say to Jairus' daughter, my child, get up. He would say to Lazarus, after he had commanded the stone to be rolled away, he would say, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man sat up and he began to speak. Do you ever wonder when you read this, where was he? And what was he thinking about? He was somewhere. Otherwise, to talk to a dead person would have been a very foolish thing to do. We picture this individual as being in heaven and can imagine what that would have been like to be told now by the angels, you got to go back. You know, here he is. He's seen, he's seen glory. He's had this vision. He's seen God and his greatness. And he's seen the angels. And now he is told to go back, which would be very wonderful for his mother, but I'm sure he was really uh, kind of torn between the two. He comes, and he is brought back to life by the word of Jesus. In each of these cases, all Jesus has to do is speak the word, and the dead are brought back to life. It was a miracle. But that same resurrection power is at work in us. That's what the Scripture tells us. It is that power that enables us to live a new life. It's that power that enables us to break free from the bonds of sin. It's that power that enables us to be a witness for Christ or to use our gifts and service. It is that power that gives us hope of the resurrection to come. 
Tim Keller talked about that power and hope on Easter Sunday. And he said, on Easter, I always say to my skeptical secular friends that even if they can't believe in a resurrection, they should want it to be true. Because most of them care deeply about things like justice for the poor, alleviating hunger and disease and caring for the environment. Yet many of them believe that the material world was caused by accident and that the world and everything in it will eventually simply burn up in the death of the sun. And they find it discouraging that so few people care about justice without realizing that their own worldview undermines any motivation to make the world a better place. I mean, why sacrifice for the needs of others if in the end nothing we will do will make any difference? You know, we're here, we die, that's it, gone. There's no future, there's no life beyond the grave. I mean, if you really believe that, think about that. Why wouldn't we live selfishly if that's all there is? Why not eat, drink, and be merry, and do whatever you want to do, and who cares about anybody else? What they don't realize, like Tim Keller says, is their very worldview undermines what they think should happen in this world. However, if the resurrection is true, and it is, that means there's infinite hope. That means there is a reason to pour ourselves out for the needs of others and to show God's love to the world and to share his gospel that brings hope. That's the difference in Christianity. I mean, I think about India, and I think about that caste system that still exists. And if you are in Hinduism and you believe in reincarnation, you're not too concerned about those in the lower caste if you're in the upper caste because, well, obviously they did something wrong to be there and they got to come back and, you know, do it again and again and again until maybe they can move up. There's not that same understanding of compassion, wanting to help those who are in need, wanting to help those who are suffering. It is one of the differences that Christianity brought to our world. Jesus comes, and he says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And that changes everything. And when we believe in God, we know that everything we do can have eternal significance. Using our gifts, serving as unto the Lord, giving our prayers, Our witness, all of that makes a difference that will count for eternity. And what we see here in Jesus is Jesus has the power to raise the dead. But thirdly, one of the things that we might not notice or think about when we first read this is this, that Jesus will reunite all who trust in him. And this story is really a picture of what is to come for all of us who know the Lord. This young man is brought back to life, and Jesus gives him back to his mother. And tears of sorrow become tears of joy. Can you imagine that scene? I mean, here's this group of people that were, that were going out. They're, they're expecting, this is a funeral. We're going to bury this guy. We're going to lay him to rest. This is it. And now Jesus does this miracle where everyone has seen it. He's brought back to life. He's sitting up. He's talking. He's telling what he has seen and heard. And they're, they're amazed. They're stunned. 
I mean, they're filled with awe. You can imagine the conversations taking place back and forth. And their hearts are overflowing with praise, and it is the most natural thing for them to worship. They come and they worship. And they say, a great prophet has appeared among us. It's interesting that the place where this miracle took place is near Shunem, where Elijah the prophet raised the son of a Shunammite woman. It's just around the hill of Morah, if you will. It's, it's very near. And these people may have been thinking about that miracle when they saw what just happened with Jesus. And so they're thinking, they don't know Jesus is the Messiah yet. This is all they've seen, and they're thinking, a great prophet has appeared among us. God has come to help his people, and they are filled with joy. But this miracle is a picture of what will happen one day for all of God's people. We will be reunited with those that we love. In 2006, Gail and I had the opportunity to go back to Norway. And I had always wanted to go and see Stanghelly, Norway. I wanted to see the place where my grandfather grew up and where he came from when he came to the United States as a young man. And a few years before we had the opportunity to go, my sister Mary had gone there and she had met with cousins, so we had contacts who we could uh, call and who we could stay with. And, you know, she had uh, talked and seen the area and she came back and she told me kind of this funny story. She said, they all look like us. You know, I, I, I kind of chuckled, and that makes some sense. We're, we're family. We're relatives. And so when we had the opportunity to go there, they welcomed us into their home. You know, they had a big meal for us. They had a Norwegian cream cake they had made that was absolutely delicious. I still remember that. Uh, they took us to see the house where my grandfather was born. They showed us the farm. They told stories about the area. And after being there for a couple days, one of my older relatives, a man named Ogi, he spoke English, and he said, I feel like I've known you all my life. It was interesting how quickly you could feel like this was family and they had welcomed us home. You know, I think about that in heaven that we will have the joy of not only seeing those that we know, like we'll see one another and we'll be reunited again and we'll see family that we have known, but we will also meet those that we have not really known. And it might be a child who died in infancy. It might be a grandfather or a great-grandfather or great-grandmother that prayed for you. And you've heard their stories. Have you heard something of their testimony of faith that was passed on? But now you're going to meet them. And not only will we meet our family and those extended relatives, but we'll meet those heroes of the faith, Old Testament, New Testament. We'll meet the prophets and the apostles. We'll meet those who were in that line that brought the gospel to us and who continue to lay down their lives so that people in all of the nations of the world will come to know Jesus. And most of all, we will see Jesus face to face. And the Bible tells us that in that day, we will be made like him. This 
mortal, frail body will be made new, and we will have that immortal, imperishable, glorified body, and we will be with him for eternity. And you know what? It's going to take a long time to have those conversations with all of those people too, isn't it? But what an awesome thing that will be. And in that place, we will feel more at home than we have ever felt anywhere else. There'll be no sin, no sorrow, no suffering, no injustice, no evil, no more pain, no more death. It's all gone. And the creator of the universe says that he will make everything new. And he tells us, you can count on that. You can write this down because these words are trustworthy and true. The same God who can raise the dead simply by speaking his word is the God who can speak the word and make all things new even as this present creation was brought into existence. So what do I take away from a passage like this and what do I hope you will take away? Number one, Jesus is loving. When we go through trials in our life, when we go through sorrows, we can know that Jesus is with us and he cares for us. He enters into our suffering. We can know that Jesus is powerful, that he has defeated sin and death and Satan. These miracles were written to encourage us and to give us hope. He has the power to raise the dead. He has the power to make all things new. And thirdly, Jesus will reunite all who trust in him. There is a great day coming when all who have died in the Lord will be brought to life and together to spend eternity with him. No more sorrow, no more suffering, no more pain, no more death. How awesome will that be? Let's pray. Father, when we read these miraculous accounts of Jesus, our hearts are stirred and filled with hope. How awesome that day is going to be when we will see those who have gone before us and who brought the faith to us. May we be faithful following in their steps. May we be faithful to share the good news with those who have never heard about you and who still need to hear. And thank you, Lord, for the privilege we have to do that as a church, to join in our prayers and our ministry and our support of missionaries in our sending and in our going to bring the gospel to those who need to know Jesus. Father, I pray for those who are here that you would fill our hearts with hope today and encouragement because of Jesus' love and his power. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Well, on these uh, communion Sundays, we don't have a final hymn, so I'd ask you to stand for our benediction today as we close, and then um, let Ron and Karen, if you want to sneak out with me, or Gal and Panya too, you can come out with me, and please stop by and greet them after the service if you would. And now may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. And all God's people said, amen.